Sebo alumni, um, as uh, introduced by our Secretary General, Susan Nklapo, I am the inaugural president of Sebo, and today I am not a speaker. <laughs> My duty is to host. I am the hostess. <laughs> there will be people who are answering your questions, and those will be um, your your speakers. It's really an honor to be here with you all. You know, these are different dynamics, different circumstances. Normally we'd have um, a seminar or a workshop of a gathering. And before we start, um, some coffee or rather tea and some, you know, some biscuits as well will be offered, you know, <laughs> just to, to ignite us before we can start with our workshops. But unfortunately today, we are all just forced to have um, our own coffees or tea in front of us. I also have mine, I hope you are ready. Uh, it's very, very cold. Um, we were informed about the cold front during the course of the week. So I'm sitting, it's cold, and my tea will be keeping me warm. And I hope the same will apply for you too. So today, as mentioned, I will be directing the program, and I'm your hostess. So I'll be taking you through the program, directing you. I hope that you will be entertained. I hope that you already have your three questions that you would like to ask. I mean, our Secretary General has also just mentioned the dynamics of this webinar. You know, um, it's more of an, uh, more an informal rather than a formal webinar. You know, normally we have um, workshops with, that are theme-based or rather that are, they are topic-centric and they are confined. But today it's a different one. And that is why we said it's a civil think tank because we are not confined. It's not theme-based. You are allowed to ask questions that you feel like you want to ask and you feel like you need some answers on or rather clarity, whether it's about the civil organization itself, whether it's law related, you know, whether it's about the anxieties of your future. You know, um, we have our directors here who are experienced and have been in this uh, legal profession for quite some time. So we hope that uh, they'll be able to answer your questions um, fully. I mean, the word webinar itself has become rather very common, you know, in this 2020 with this COVID-19 pandemic that has hit us hard, you know, not just in South Africa, but globally. We are indeed forced and subjected to webinars and not gatherings. So I, I really hope that you're going to have a wonderful time with us. And we are also streaming live on Facebook. So the purpose of this, um, it was a decision of the ESCO rather, and um, the Secretary General himself, in fact, is Busen Shapo, they'd mentioned that this recording um, will be kept and it's something that uh, if others are not able to attend, they can listen to and they can have this information. And for years to come or later, we can still just, uh, if you wanna listen to it and just remind ourselves of this, um, webinar or other historic moment that we once had. I would like to just also um, remind you of our civil ethos. You know, um, we civil is an um, international conscious movement. We celebrate South Africa, we celebrate Blacks, we celebrate women, and we celebrate law. We are founded upon dignity, equality, and freedom, infused with the philosophies of Ubuntu and Zenzele. 
respect is very, very integral to our core. It's very integral. I always mention the fact that within several, whether it's within the ESCO, whether within the, the, the board members, or how we deal with our several aspirant um, alumni, respect is something that comes before anything else. And um, I think that is something that should still guide this webinar as well. And most, important, and most importantly, our voices matter. That is also the highlight of what we've gathered here today. Our voices matter, your voices matter, and that is why you're given this opportunity to come and ask those questions which you may have jotted down already or that have been, you know, like you've been so wondering about this and that. So please feel free and ask those questions. So without wasting any further time, I would like to introduce the next um, the, the, our next item on our program, which is item number three, we have our very own advocate, Aslam SC. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that, you know, because his name is Baba, and to me, that is quite short and easier. I always opt to say Baba before the Aslam, but um, advocate Aslam SC is one of our directors, and he's just going to give us a bit of the technical information on how to zoom, pardon, pardon me, sorry, on how to zoom joyously into our session. So Advocate Aslam, you may proceed. Sorry, I, hello. Hello, thank you. Sorry, I was muted. I'm listening very uh, carefully to Madilo and making sure I follow all the directions and get everything right. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you, Madilo. Thank you for the wonderful invitation. You can call me Aslam, you can call me Bava, you can leave the title advocate out. It's perfectly fine. It's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, uh, Sibu Siso um, uh, wanted to set this entire process up in terms of getting sure that the, we were live conferencing. So we were working on it from 10 o'clock. And then we got our expert, Pang, who came in and showed us how to do the link. And therefore, we are currently live and we are recording the session. So, and it's recording on cloud. So hopefully all of this remains, it doesn't get lost. Uh, keep fingers crossed, people. Uh, very briefly, um, the world, the new normal that everybody's talking about now is that we are now going into video conferencing and I'm going to give you a very brief uh, introduction on how to use Zoom. You get other platforms as well. You get uh, Google platforms, you get um, Microsoft Teams, but uh, I'm using Zoom, so I'm going to quickly take you through how you um, work your way through Zoom. And the question is why? Um, the idea is to be able to communicate with people you may not be able to meet now, physically. So um, previously we would go out and we'd meet with people. Now we meet with them on the screen and our manners on the screen, like Madila warns us, must be equally good to the manners that we express and display when we meet with people. And, um, Zoom is a, is a cloud-based platform, so that is the first thing, which means that it is linked to a cloud system. And how do you get onto Zoom? You would have clicked the link uh, if you came onto Zoom today, but if not, 
an invitation is normally sent to you uh, and you will have to click onto the link. But let's take it the other way. You want to establish and you want to set up a Zoom conference where you want to invite other people. How do you go about doing that? So you've got two options. You've got one. Option number one is to do it on your, on your phone. And the second option is to do it on your laptop or your computer. The, and the first most important thing is for you to go to zoom.com and to download the app. So either on your phone or on your laptop, you will download the app. It will then ask you the next aspect. It will ask you to put in your logging in details. That is your email address and your uh, password. So you can choose an email address and the password, or you can use um, your, uh, your Gmail um, account and it will link, it, will, it gives you that option, or you can use your Facebook account. Uh, and you then in, you now just, uh, if you set up your own uh, password, just remember that. Once you've downloaded the app, um, the next step, uh, stage is to set up a meeting or invite people to a meeting. And you will see that it will, on, your, on your app, you will have a screen where it says, start a meeting a new meeting and you click on that. It's very simple. I must tell you, Zoom is exceedingly simple. You click start meeting, even if, you, if you're not uh, IT savvy, it's fine. You click new meeting and then at the bottom it will say invite persons. And you click on the invite and you click, if you're calling from your mobile, you can, uh, you can browse your contacts and you can simply uh, add your contacts, or you could just set up a meeting. And then when you go to the screen, it says invite attendees. You click on invite attendees and it says share or copy to clipboard. You can click copy to clipboard and then send the person on WhatsApp or any other platform uh, like your message, cop uh, that um, uh, invitation that has been copied onto your clipboard. So just to, uh, um, to repeat that, you now have set up a new meeting. You add invitees. In there, you go and you copy uh, on your, onto your clipboard and then paste it onto either WhatsApp or your message and send it. And that person will automatically, it will send all the links and that person just has to click on and they into the meeting. The other way is if you're doing it on your desktop, which is your computer, you generally do it by way of email invites. So you will then click on email invites and you will choose your email platform. You can use Outlook or you can use um, your Gmail. I use Gmail because it's easier or you can use Yahoo. And you then click on your Gmail uh, and then you just type the person's or people's you know, how many other people you want to invite, you click their names in and you send it. Now, how, for how long can you talk on, on Zoom? If you, using the free service, the unpaid service, you can use the free service. Uh, between multiple people, it's a maximum of 40 minutes. If you, have a, if you need more than uh, 40 minutes, you then buy a license. But if it's on a one-to-one, -one, it's unlimited. 
So if you more than two people on the, on the Zoom platform, you will be restricted to 40 minutes. What happens after 40 minutes? After 40 minutes, uh, well, before 40 minutes, from around about 30 minutes, you start getting a countdown. It says you've got 10 minutes left, then it will tell you you've got nine minutes, and the ticker, will, the, uh, the clock will keep on running on the top. And as it comes towards the end, your meeting will end, and then you restart the meeting again with the same people. So that is, uh, that is a very uh, simple aspect. There are now more advanced aspects about sharing documents. Um, sharing documents and um, uh, additional slightly advanced features. So if you want to share a document, that means you are now uh, displaying to the parties a document that you want to use. Then you've got a share button at the bottom and you click the share and you open your screens and it will open all your screens in the background. So make sure your screens are very nicely looking. You don't want to share all your screens. You, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, when we're working, we clutter our screens and when you open it, all your messages come and your latest um, purchases from take a lot and whatever is showing on your screen. You don't want all of that to, to show. So you choose a particular screen. So if you have got a document on Microsoft Word, you will choose the document on Microsoft Word and say, I want to display this document to you. And uh, that is how it will work. I'm going to try and just do that. I don't have a document open, uh, but I do have a website open. So uh, I'm going to just quickly show you and then end it. Um, this one will say Safari and, and Facebook. So if you look now, you'll be able to see in a few seconds a, a screen coming up which says, Safari and Facebook, and you'll see several on the left-hand side. If you look around here, can you, you'll be able to see my cursor moving as well. And we can go and it shows you all of these things. So when you finish with this, you stop the sharing of your screen. And uh, that is basically a very short introduction to it. I've got five minutes. I think I don't want to go over my time. And thank you very much. That's my brief introduction. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, um, Advocate Baba. Um, that was a, a lovely, lovely, it was informative. Some of us, um, we've been using this Zoom um, quite a number of times, but there are still other settings and technical glitches that we still don't understand. And thank you so much for that introduction. So normally um, during our webinars, or pardon me, during our, our workshops and our seminars, we'll have, um, introduction where we formally introduce um, our speakers. So today, like I said, it's a different ball game. Everyone here will have an opportunity to introduce themselves. They'll have an opportunity to introduce themselves. They are several journey whom they shadowed uh, or any luminaries whom they shadowed or rather luminaries whom they appeared uh, in front of when they were muting in terms of our several um, human rights court. But before we get to our alumni and other aspirants, several alumni, I'd like to uh, start with our directors that are present here today. 
we've got uh, Madam CEO Advocate Aisha Tairi. I'm not going to introduce her, I'll let her do the talking because like we said, it's really an informal space that we're having today. So after herself, again, Advocate Baba will go. So everyone will have um, about three to five minutes just to introduce themselves. And if they feel like three to five minutes is quite long, then no problem. You can stick to a minute, 30 seconds, as long as you introduce yourself and we know who you are, whether you're an aspirant uh, Sebel alumni, whether you're an existing alumni, and what, how has your journey been, and what was the, the value that you gained through that uh, Sebel journey, whether be it Sebel Shadowing or Sebel Human Rights Court. Advocate Tyree, Madam CEO. Good morning, everyone. I'm very, very excited to be here today. And thank you all for participating in this inaugural webinar. And well done to our inaugural president and director, Madelo Mofoking, for hosting us, and our secretary general, Tibusiso Nchlapo, for assisting in the coordination, and our current reigning president, Prudence Mate and our EXCO, because without the EXCO, we would not be here today. So I have to thank you because you've done all the work and um, you've really, really assisted me too. And thank you, Advocate Aslam SC, because with your technical prowess, we are here today. It is a little bit, um, I've, I've been slow to acclimatize to webinars and, and because we, we have a different way of doing things. We always used to have our workshops. There was closer contact. And I find that um, I needed to give a presentation um, on an educational uh, webinar. And that was my first, first at webinars. And that sort of was very a very good experience. So now I am finding the cyberspace quite educative and there are great opportunities. So in short, my journey to advocacy, I am admitted as an advocate on the 28th of March 2000 and I am the Sebel founder since this organization was birthed, our movement was birthed in 2016. And if you don't know, in 2015, we had a catastrophe with the fees must fall. Our universities were being burnt. I sat, I watched on television and I felt incapacitated because I couldn't do anything. And yet I'm an advocate and I'm an activist. And we also had the, 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 the murder of Riva that was quite dominant in the news. So through that, I wanted to have a voice in society and have a voice for all of us so that we could stand up against the injustices and fight for dignity, equality and freedoms. So only 16 years after being an advocate, after these uh, fighters at university and the, the justice fighters for, for women that are murdered, did we, did all of us then just 
come together and Sable was birthed. I may have been the founder, but I prayed extensively because I wanted to give back and I asked God for guidance on how to give back in a way that was meaningful and could impact society as opposed to just a scattering of assistance. So this, I, I, Sable truly, I, I feel is bigger than me and it is God's grace through me. So with that, I would like to thank all of you for showing up for opportunities. And I, I am also introduced to a new way of learning. And I found that this new cyberspace uh, edu educational platforms is, is a fantastic opportunity. So there are opportunities to learn globally, as opposed to before, we were locked into geographical spaces. So today, I mean, I've, I've had access to mines in Germany, to mines in the UK, to mines in South Africa, to mines in North Africa. And I can only imagine that starting out as, as young lawyers today, you are shaping our paradigm. You are the next generation. So you're, you are, exposed to, to, to the globe. It's, it's so, so different and such a great opportunity. And I'm also grabbing that opportunity because when I watched a recent webinar, I felt 16. My, I mean, the neuro, the, the, the synapses were, were buzzing because this was such new information. And I felt re, re, like just rejuvenated at this excess of information. So what I can say is this, this global position of tapping into think tanks. And that's why we've, uh, we've never been in a movement that where we learn through, uh, through dictatorship or through a hierarchy. We learn through, through, through being equal, through everybody having dignity, equality and freedoms. So that's why we have the think tank. It's not that I have the answer or someone else has the answer. It is that collectively we will utilize synergy and synergy is one plus one equals 11. And Savile has always been about consciousness um, equal, equals dignity, equality, and freedom. So consciousness takes us to opportunities. Consciousness equals opportunities, equals dignity, and quality, and freedom. And we don't we can never be satisfied with one opportunity. We need to embrace opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in order for us to, in, sorry, I was reading a message. I thought it was directed to me because I normally take, speak longer than my time. So I know I need to wind up, but we need to embrace opportunity after opportunity because you become an expert after thousands and thousands of hours. And when you are an expert and you've had that thousands and thousands of hours, truly you have so much choice and you can truly self-actualize as the, the highest lawyer you possibly aspire to be or the highest being as the respected human. And what I've done recently, I've written a, written a collection, Sabal Humbakodo, a collection of consciousness. I've written it for the Sabal alumni those that have taken the time 
to go through our programs, to show up, to work, to invest. And I, um, in Orbital Director Madillo and I are discussing on how we will publicize that to you. And perhaps you can assist us through this think tank as well. Because right now, I only want to share it with you, but I know in Orbital Madillo wants, wants me to share it a little bit more collect broadly. But it's Sabo Mbokodo, a collection of consciousness. It's about my journey to an Mbokodo. And the, the idea of this book really originated in Limpopo when I addressed platforms in Limpopo, the youth. Two, two young gentlemen came up to me afterwards and they asked me, have you written anything? They'd really like to read what I've written. So the law students in Limpopo are really, um, I must thank them. They know who they are. There were two gentlemen that approached me at that university. And I, I only had the idea to then put everything in writing. And perhaps because they approached me, it should be publicized. So it, it is ready. And uh, in Ogril Madela and I are the only two that have read it since. So thank you so much. And I look forward to today. Today is not about I know better or you know better. It is about throwing the query into the think tank, letting it percolate with all our minds and, and then assessing the result, not necessarily accepting it, but assessing it. Because what do lawyers need? Lawyers need to be critical thinkers. Critical thinkers, whatever is presented to you, remember you must interrogate. We must always remember what um, Tato uh, Biko had said to us. What did he say to us about oppression? Um, the greatest weapon of the oppressors is the mind. So the way you combat that is always to have strong consciousness of whatever comes into your intellectual space. You, you conscientize, you choose what thoughts to accept because these thoughts percolate and they become part of your being and you take that forward into society. So thank you so much for, for being a part of our wonderful family. And uh, I look forward to all those aspirant alumni that wants to join our fold. That's why we have, we've uh, recording this and publicizing this so that one day you too can contribute to our think tank. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That, is, that was our, our founder and CEO advocate, Aisha Tairi. So now moving on to our next person who's going to introduce themselves. He already gave us um, some of our technical information and that is advocate Aslam. Advocate Aslam, you may proceed. Thank you very much, Matilo. Um, I am a practicing advocate at Johannesburg. More importantly, I always um, state I'm a human being first and whatever I practice is a skill or craft emanating from us being human. And um, we therefore have our multifaceted people. And as soon as you describe yourself as an advocate, you place yourself into a very restricted space in life. Um, I was invited onto Sabol by Aisha who started this um, uh, this wonderful organization. And um, I have been practicing for a number of years. I'm a senior counsel at the Duma Nokwe Group uh, in, in Santon. And um, I, I'm looking forward to listening to what we've got to say and to hear and to learn today. So thank you very much. 
Thank you very much, Advocate Aslam. That was a, a lovely and brief introduction. So <laughs> now we give it, we hand, I hand it over to our attendees. So that brief introduction about yourself, three to five minutes. It can even be shorter depending on yourself. So I'm not sure, is, is anyone ready to proceed? I don't wanna point at anyone and say, um, <laughs> one, please uh, start. So if anyone is ready to, um, to proceed, perhaps they can just give me an indication um, that they're ready and they can just proceed in that manner. Okay, Prudence has got a hand up. <laughs> okay. Uh, good morning. I am Prudence Mate. I'm a final year LLB student. And I joined the Subbrill Alumni Fold in 2018 when I participated in the shadowing program. And I was shadowing advocate James Mahodi. Um, in the same year, I participated in the Subbrill Human Rights Court as a junior mm -hmm. counsel for the respondent. I further participated in 2018 in the Subworld Human Rights Court as the senior counsel for the Amicus Curie, and I'm currently serving as the president of Subworld Alumni. Thank you. Thank you so much, President. We see why you've been elected as, uh, <laughs> as the current president. Anyone who's ready to introduce themselves? Okay, so, uh, our Secretary General's hands is up. You may proceed, SG. Thank you so much. My name is Christian Castle. Um, I'm a parent, LLBist. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh God, I can't read it. Um, I'm a candidate attorney at um, in Pretoria. Um, proud to say that I'm finished my boards, so I'm just waiting for admission soon. And yeah. Um, I joined several in 2017 when I, um, I should have Adams um, from the uh, Maisel group in, in, in Sentin. So since then I've been an active member. I've been doing what I can uh, to, 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 to make as little difference that I can. So, yeah, I'm a part alumni. I'm several alumni and I look forward to today's engagement. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, SG. I see you wanted to demote yourself from a, being a CA and to being a, a law student, <laughs> but thank you so much <laughs> for that. <laughs> thank, you. Um, thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Um, anyone else ready? Okay, I see, um, I see Lerato's got her hands, her hand is up. You may proceed. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Lerato Madau. Um, a final LLB student at the Univers University of South Africa. Um, I started my several journey um, as a, I applied for hashtag SS, uh, the mentorship program. 
which was um, under the direction of advocate Samantha Martin. Um, with her, she gave me the opportunity to actually shadow two more advocates, which for me was, was, was a big deal. Um, they were more on the civil litigation side and it really like broadened my thinking in terms of civil, especially because that I've been struggling a lot with civil, um, civil, the civil procedure module um, at university level. So after that, I got to gain more experience in terms of like, you know, how it works and what's done and what's not. I became um, a member of the Illumini um, November 2019. And from there, I've just been very comfortably seated in the Sabo family. Um, I've recently just been appointed as the academic and legal research officer, which um, I aim and I believe that I will be leading the Illuminis um, in a very straight way, if I can put it that way. Um, so yeah, um, this is me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, and congratulations on your newly uh, new uh, position or rather office into legal and academic officer. We hope and believe that you will lead us well. Thank you so much. Um, I saw there was a hand up, but I'm not seeing it again. Oh, I see Mr. Matlangu. He's you may proceed, sir. Okay. Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Fusiso Mashangu. It's nice to see everybody. Um, I'm the Deputy Secretary General of the Sebo Alumni Group. Um, I joined Sebo uh, through the Sebo Human Rights Court in 2016, and that was the what is this, the defamation case, the defamation of character case. Uh, we, we presented our arguments before um, the um, um, advocate, advocate Lindy Nkosi SC, amongst others. Um, yes, uh, it, it's good to be here. Um, I'm, a, I'm an admitted attorney now. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sibashe. I'm currently a candidate attorney uh, doing my final rotation in professional indemnity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, um, current Deputy Secretary General, and thank you for bringing along with you um, the. I, I couldn't quite get her name there. I, I think I don't know that there was something wrong with the connection there. But thank you so much for those introduction. It's lovely to have you guys. Anyone else want to introduce themselves? I see Indisha's hand is up. Indisha, you may proceed, sir. Um, thank you. Thank you, um, Press Madillo. Um, good morning to everyone. My name is Indisha Kutoni. Final year, Bachelor of Law student at the University of South Africa as the Treasury General of Cebu. My journey started in May 2018 when I shared um, luminary advocate Ryan Kay, and that experience has shaped my legal 
path to the best. And uh, I'm looking forward to today's direction. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much, uh, Treasurer General. Anyone else ready? Uh, I'm not seeing any hand up. Is anyone ready to introduce themselves? Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good a morning. Very warm, a very warm morning to you guys. My name is Tepang Sakhache and I am here to learn and to serve. Thank you so much, thank you. Tepang is, uh, has also assisted us uh, briefly into um, the streaming of this uh, webinar to our Facebook. So thank you so much, Tepang, for that. It's, it's really good to have you attend our webinar. Thank you so much. Anyone who's ready, they may also proceed. I'm going to pick you. Introduce yourself. <laughs> uh, good. Okay. Is it morning? Yes. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, President Law. Okay. So, Nama is Sable Journey. It started uh, 2017 with uh, the Sable Human Rights Court. Um, we had, if I remember correctly, it was, um, yes, Advocate Nnamalindi S. SC, who was uh, the, uh, uh, the Chief Justice uh, on the day, and briefly our, our matter was more on the valuation of uh, land that was um, uh, selected for expropriation. Um, following that, um, I, I, uh, I did uh, shadowing at uh, uh, BBM Law in Rosebank, and I was shadowing um, uh, the attorney, uh, he's an associate, uh, Brett Thompson. Um, there was, uh, if I remember correctly, SS27, yes. Um, and thereafter, I uh, did the Civil Human Rights Court in 2019 again, um, last year. It, it, it was uh, it was it was quite a multifaceted case. It was an interesting case, rather. Um, firstly, but uh, the the core or the core focus on it was on uh, the right to citizenship. Yeah. So that, in a nutshell, is my civil journey. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Vitamelo, for that introduction. I think there's only a few, if not one, person to introduce themselves. I think Tabi Singh, you may proceed. Madilla. You Hello? may proceed. Yes, we oh, can hear you. Yes. Oh, um, my name is Tabi Singh. I'm sorry, I can't have my video on. I will start experiencing um, network problems. My name no problem. is Singh, and I'm in my final semester of LLB studies. Um, I started my Sable journey in 2019, and I Sable journey, I Sable, um, uh, Denise Wiles from Swartz Atenis. It is, um, a firm that deals with personal injuries. 
And in 2019, I also participated as um, second junior counsel for the Amicus Curie. And I'm currently serving as um, the events and project coordinator of the Sable alumni. Yeah, thank you. That's it all about me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ntabeseng, for that lovely introduction. Um, I, I, I think we've covered everyone. Everyone has just lovely introduced themsel themselves. Um, and if there's anyone who didn't get an opportunity to, to introduce themselves, they may tell me before we proceed. But I think we are all covered. So thank you so much for all those introductions. I think without wasting any further time, because ooh, it's already we're already like seven minutes. In fact, it's six minutes before 12 p.m. Without wasting any further time, I think let's get to the most important business of the day, the reason that we've gathered here today. Like I mentioned, I hope you have you, all your, your questions, they are ready. So right now we are going to start with item number five, which is question and answer session. For this question and answer session, we have about 20 minutes. So um, I see we have about 12 participants. So I believe that uh, if we all have our, all our three questions, we may be able to, to, to ask all our first questions within this 20 minutes, I believe so, but we'll see how we will move so I'm not sure if um, there's anyone who would like to proceed and ask a question. They may just raise their hand. I will just see here. Or either just proceed by, oh, I see Susan Matlangu has a question already. Your hand is up. You may proceed, sir. All right, uh, thank you. Okay, my, my first question uh, out of three, I'm just gonna ask one for this round. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but my first question is, uh, what should be the driving force um, behind the legal practitioner? And what I mean by that is, um, what, as you enter the fraternity, and as you practice daily, what should be the objective? We all have objectives. Some people want to make money. Some people want to fight and argue and all of that. But what should, what should be the objective as, as a legal practitioner? That's my, that's my question. Okay, thank, thank you very much uh, for that question. So, um, I believe what we'll do, we will move in this fashion. So now that Sposo has asked his question, I will allow either Advocate Tairi or Advocate Bava to answer this question. And then when the other question comes up also, the particular person will ask the question and they will also answer, seeing that we all gonna ask uh, the first question within this session. Um, I hope everyone is happy that we move in that fashion. Is that fine with everyone? Uh, uh, Madam Hostess, I just want to bring your attention to what advocate uh, Bava has just indicated on the on the chat. Um, so oh, okay. Yes. Oh, oh, sorry. I just only saw the message now. We have two separate. Okay. I I think I don't. 
So if I can read the message from the chat, everyone can see from themselves, but um, let me read it. It says we had two separate sessions planned, but we will continue with this one without a break, if it is okay with everyone. This will allow the streaming to continue. So initially there were two separate sessions. So now this one will just continue and then we will just proceed in that manner. We'll have a break though after this first 20 minutes, but continue with the session. That is what he was indicating to us. So I hope you are captured. I hope I captured what you were trying to relate to me. No, I'm captured there. Thank you. Uh, can I somewhere ask my, my, my question? <laughs> I was still, I was still saying, I was still asking <laughs> when I, <laughs> I was still asking and, and saying that Sbuso has asked this question, the, the Deputy Secretary General. So now I will allow um, the directors to answer that question. And then after that, you will come in and answer your, and ask your question. Okay, understood, Madam President. Thank you, SG. Um, so, uh, our directors, um, you can proceed to answer the question into objectivity. I see a screen is up. So, is that Advocate Aslam that's uh, continuing? Yes, I see he, he wrote the question for us so that it's clear for everyone to see. I've just, I've just put the question up so that we can all reflect on the question as we're going along. Okay. Yes. Uh, do you want to, to answer that, um, Advocate Aslam Issi, or would you like me to? Or shall we both? Would you like let, to proceed? Let us both engage in, in, in this. Um, I think no answer to this is the ultimate answer. Um, in my, in my, uh, from my perspective, I think that the goal of a legal practitioner should be one that contributes to society. Um, it, is, it is an even balance between establishing a legal practice, which is a commercial uh, initiative uh, linked to an educational initiative uh, linked to a contributory uh, initiative. So if we look at them as, as, as a combined value system, I think lawyers should work towards creating environments where they are able to use the, edu um, the education that they've received, the experience that they receive in law to better society, and also at the same time not forgetting themselves because it is very important from every perspective, financial, psychological, uh, spiritual, um, from a career perspective, from a f family perspective, that you become and try and become a balanced individual that contributes to society. And law allows you to do that. So that is my, my understanding of what, well, at least that has been my goal in, in, as a practitioner. I Thank shall. you very much, Advocate Baba. I think uh, Madam CEO can proceed. Thank you so much. What I will share is that 
I think across the board, across all professions, if you want to achieve success on any level with any measure of interpretation, so success could be whether success is kindness to you, whether success is financial, I do believe that you will only achieve success if you serve. So what is service? Service is throwing your skills into the society and impacting society. So that is service. Now, you've confined the question to the objective of the legal practitioner. It's a very, very um, deep question. It's a very noble question. I can only commend the question. I support what Advocate Aslam SC has stated. What I will contribute to that is as a practitioner, you deal with the real life set of facts. So when you deal with the real life set of facts, there are clients. That client approached you with a problem. I believe that as a practitioner, you must utilize your training, your skill set, which is Sorry, I was looking at the camera. So you, uh, when you are faced with a conflict, a problem, a client comes to you. So you must utilize your skill set, your training to present to that client a choice. So the client, as someone that is not skilled in law, can then maximize his dignity and say that using this knowledge that from a practitioner, I choose a particular route. Once that route is chosen, if the client after the advice from the legal practitioner, then your duty shifts and you must execute that with in, in compliance with all your duties as an advocate uh, or, or a legal practitioner your duty to court, your duty to client, and taking into account all the ethics. Because a practitioner is not an academic. And a practitioner assesses a real set of facts. The academic is, is, a lux is a good position. They're valuable because they can deeply think and they can assist us. So we use those writings in heads of argument to persuade. But when a client comes to you, they, they, they have a clear issue. You need to use your training. And if you don't yet have that particular training and you're still developing, you tap into legal think tanks. So this is a start of a particular kind of think tank. It's a movement, it's our think tank, but no one person has the answer. Think tanks can emanate from from all your precedents, your legal resources, they emanate from seniors that are kind and that you respect, that will, will give you a certain um, uh, contribution, but you need to assess that particular facts in the context of the law, provide the client with options for execution, and then execute the mandate if you are so instructed. 
within compliance of your duties to the court, your duty to the client, and in compliance with the ethics. So I mentioned from the outset that service is instrumental. And if you note that I fine tune the practice element, but it is aligned to service. Because if you serve the client in this particular fashion, then what happens is you have taken conflict and you have either neutralized it or you have taken it and guided it through an acceptable fashion that the law, the courts, we all accept within the ambit of our constitution, our laws in South Africa. And if they are global laws, whatever is relevant, and it is then either diffused, because what does conflict do? We as lawyers know that one of the principles is you do not take the law into your own hands. If you take the law into your own hands, it creates anarchy. So when a client approaches a legal practitioner, they are there to say there is conflict. This conflict can either exacerbate or this conflict, if you do not provide the options, can even result in murders, in death. That is why we have forums. It could be arbitrations, it could be courts of law, it could be mediations. But because we are strong on dignity, equality and freedoms and actualizing those values of Ubuntu and Zenzele, Ubuntu is kindness and compassion. Zenzele it comes from Soweto, Vuk o Zenzele, stand up and do it for yourself. I am not one of those lawyers that will just run with it and it is mine and I do it my way, there is consultation. So I think the difficulty is your clients are vulnerable because they do not have your skill set. It is up to you to explain and provide options, but it is very difficult because strategies change, things change. So as the, the dynamics of the suit evolves, different facts come into play. So there needs to be a strong trust relationship between the client and the legal practitioner. And if my client or the attorney that briefs me does not trust me or does not respect me, then I really don't believe there's merit in moving forward in the matter. They must find an advocate or a legal practitioner who they respect and they trust because it will just explode at a later level because in a conflict situation, everything is dynamic. Every element can explode. So you need to know your team is solid. So I need to know that my client, my attorney, we are all moving forward because this is combustive. In a litigation scenario where there are opponents, people are saying others are lying, People are in cross-examination, are being feeling very vulnerable, interrogated. So it is a journey. It is a tough journey. It is a war that is legitimized. And it is one that the team, so hence the team must be solid and hence from the outset, it is good so that you have an idea of the way forward and client's voice is important. But client's voice cannot trump 
my legal advice because then the Legal Practice Act says I can say that I will withdraw because you are superseding my functions as an advocate. You must have a look at the Legal Practice Act on the duties of a legal practitioner because that will tell you what happens in cases of conflict. And I have training, I have experience, and I cannot ever be a party to a fraud if my client wants me to re recreate a set of facts and I know it is not true, I must withdraw or I must not take the case because that is now compromising the ethics. So in answer to your question, the objectives I believe is one, service, and service I take into practice through providing choice to a client using your deep skill set. And you must be on a journey of constantly acquiring legal experience and legal knowledge so that you can have the richest resource base to answer that particular set of facts. Because every set of facts is so different. That is why we have case after case heading to courts of law. And you do your best. There is no perfection. And you present your, your best assessment. If they want a second opinion, they are very welcome. If they do not want you on the matter or they want clients want to tell you what to do, then this is not going to work. Because there is no point in going to an expert and then instructing the expert what to do because it is going to collapse and the catastrophe is worth no rands or cents or dollars and pounds because the catastrophe is not worth any monetary value. It will cost you, it will cost your opponent, it will cost the court, it costs everybody more than anybody can pay. So it is always good to do your very, very best with that particular set of facts and give your ultimate opinion and allow the client to have the choice. So the risk factor is very high because if client accepts it, you also inform them of the cost trajectory as best as you can for that particular scenario. So if it's a notice of motion counting at the day of it, then there's a cost implication. So everybody would have their own, but if you chase money, the problem that we have today, and I think the legal tech people, everybody is trying to, 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 to move to how do, you, how do you build? Because firms have targets and then you start chasing fees, but you can never ever lose sight of customer and client satisfaction. And it's very difficult because how are clients ever gonna be satisfied in a conflict situation? There is no winner in a war. If you are litigating, maybe if you're drafting a contract, you, it's, it's a different scenario. You give them the best advice you can for that contract. You show them all the strategy plans. You show them perhaps for the will. You give them the best clauses. You advise on the executors. So, so there are different parts. But, you have, but the question has been around legal practice. And normally a legal practice is aimed at the courts. So um, my scenario is to aspirant lawyers, to current lawyers, to seasoned lawyers, the learning never stops. 
the pursuit of excellence to if you are standing still you are regressing you are always learning and you are either learning in practice or you are learning through academia and you are learning because you are growing as a human being and don't mute the client the client has the answers so the consultations are vital they are privileged no one else's no that is such sanctity that relationship between a client and a legal practitioner that relationship of privilege is so sanctimonious it is so sacred the courts don't readily intervene it is privileged because that is something that's so special so there are times where we can the courts will want will say might say that a doctor's privilege or a therapist's privilege um, the truth and the law trumps over it but sacred we have that consultation those notes it is privileged and that privilege is there so that you can be the voice for your client going forward if you are instructed i have the right of appearance you need a right of appearance if you have a right of appearance you can speak in the court of law so when i speak in the court of law i speak for someone else that does not have that right of appearance or someone else that has honored me to be their voice in the most tiresome times in a time where they are vulnerable in a time where they are in a conflict situation without the necessary skill set and it is not their fault they don't have the skill set it was that i have chosen to specialize in litigation so never underestimate the consultation and your role in this entire process and starting out service and to provide the client with the highest choices going forward aware of all the obstacles and that it's a war so there's not more i can say you want to stay out of the courts you want to do contracts so that parties don't have fights you want people to have good commercial relationships and you want to buntu and zenzele but if not we are there we, the judges are there the litigators are there and uh, thank you for the question it's a very very um, deep question and it's a very noble question and i'm sure there are many answers so i i thank you for the honor and the opportunity to share my thoughts after being an advocate since 2000 thank you thank you thank you very much advocate tyre um and as well as uh, advocate bava um for me the the highlight of those answers from advocate bava would be your objectivity should be to serve and contribute to the to society to society pardon me and then from our madam ceo she says that it is a war and it is tough she says that your point of departure should be to serve your clients well so so i hope your question is answered thank you let's proceed to um the suppose so that our sg suppose on clapo had a question you may proceed to, to ask your question sir um 
Thank you so much. Um, no oh, today. I see. So, oh. Sapang, you're noted. Am sorry, I, sorry. Am I, okay, yes. No, I'm sorry. saying my, my question is in relation to the, Yes, thank you. My question is in relation to the mentorship around um, the law profession. You know, usually, how do you know that a certain person is the right mentor for you as a young legal practitioner, especially if you want to see yourself somewhere in, in the next five to 10 years? How do you decide on the issue of mentorship? That's my first question. Thank you. Thank you very much, SG. Um, I think our directors can proceed to answer the question around mentorship. Shall I proceed or Advocate Aslam SC? Uh, you can proceed, Aisha. This is a, a question very close to my heart. So I think what you need to, what, what I think we need, need consciousness about is to distinguish between mentorship and sponsorship. So mentorship works up to a point and sponsorship takes you further. So you ideally need to aim for both. And when I say sponsorship, it is not uh, monetary sponsorship. It is that people are assisting you more than in, in an intimate situation. But let's confine ourselves now to mentorship. Savwell is designed so that we provide mentorship and sponsorship. So it is, a, it is, it is and we want to develop in the way that we can do more. But I firmly believe sponsorship takes us further because mentorship doesn't, it, it, it helps, it's the foundation, but you need the next step. So to choose a mentor, it is not an easy situation because a mentorship is a dual situation. So there must be an acceptance by the mentor of the mentee. And um, a lot of people will simply say, well, I want you to be my mentor. Will you be my mentor? It, it just is the wrong approach. So, so I wouldn't suggest that approach, but your question to isolate it is how do you determine who you want to seek out as a mentor? I can share with you how, what I believe. I don't believe that knowledge for legal practice lies in any one human being. So, I believe that you must have a series of individuals that you tap into at relevant points of your of, of the time in legal practice. And then that series of individuals, different people may be relevant for different aspects. So no one human being is ever going to satisfy the need of one mentee. And I have mentored four pupil advocates. All my pupil advocates have passed without bottles into advocacy. Two of them achieved the bar prize because they outcompeted everyone and they were the top pupils. So I know that each mentee requires something different from me. And I would, would say that when you are looking for something, because each mentee will look for a mentor that speaks to them. So you, you will look for things in the mentor 
that resonate with you. There's something special about that mentor that you want to aspire towards. They have, they, they are where you want to be, or they can help you be where you want to be. But I would say simply two things stand out for me. If I need assistance, and I'm taking it, I'm taking assistance into the words of a mentor or mentee, because when I need assistance, that is somebody that's mentoring me on that particular point. So when I need assistance, I am only going to look for two things. I am going to look for a kind person that I believe is a good person. So I look for, but that's me on a personal level. So you choose your own. So I look for a good human being. The second thing I look for is someone that has the expertise knowledge on that particular point. So I, when I started out, I only looked for number two. I only looked for the one that had the clinical and technical knowledge on the point. And I, I learned the long way, which is what, probably the best way, that a good person will be honest with you. They will not manipulate. They're not going to use their expert knowledge to try and take you on a trajectory that is of their making. So a, a good person is simply going to be very honest with the expert knowledge. So don't think experts will definitely the answer, they will be able to give that answer for your context. They have their own conscious bias or unconscious bias. If that unconscious or conscious bias filters into that expert knowledge, it's tainted. So I thus assess who I seek assistance from to be a person that in my view is a they may not be the best of people, but they are not out with viciousness or they are good people. You just look around, you know who is a good person, you know who's a kind person. So everybody's assessment of who is a good and kind person might be different, but I will look at, okay, I think this is a kind person. Because for me, if the person is a kind person, it means they're going to answer that question in a way that doesn't belittle me, in a way that doesn't steal from my dignity, they're going to answer it in a way that is true to the, the expertise I require. So I really don't make the mistake I made when I started. I, I definitely bypassed good and kind people. And I only looked at the technical expert and I thought that this is the be all end all. Whatever they said is the greatest of glory. Today, I think the biggest mistake that we have infiltrating our legal system, our legal opinions, our courts, our heads of argument, our judgments is unconscious bias and all very much conscious bias. So remember, our movement is all about consciousness. So when you see someone that you perceive to be an expert or you believe can mentor you to take you up to a particular point, Please interrogate, is this someone that shares your core values? You decide what your core values are. We know as a movement, we celebrate 
South Africa, Blacks, Women and Law. We founded on dignity, equality and freedoms infused in Ubuntu and Zinzele. And respect is integral to our cause. So those core values are also very much aligned with my personal values. So I will just say to you going forward, when you choose a mentor, find a person that is aligned to your core values. I've shared with you mine is kindness, goodness, and then choose someone that has succeeded in where you need to be or is on that journey because you're, it's not going to be, remember, don't forget the stepping stones because if you choose someone that is already there for 10 or 20 years, they may have forgotten and the path to that position has changed because the things change in society. We're now in cyberspace. So the way they achieve that position may not be the way that you will achieve it. So you cannot do it dogmatically. You need to also keep your ear to the ground, be in touch with every level towards where you are headed. And where you are headed is to serve and where you are headed is to impact your client in the best way possible. So what does that mean? It means you may have special mentors. You may have defined I would not, I would say be open to, to breathing space because things change. There may be mentors for your relationships. There may be mentors. So, so for me, I'm multifaceted. I have drawn on several individuals. I draw on books. I draw on cyberspace now webinars. So there are many ways to source mentors. Some people learn through academia better. So that's my contribution. I, I'm very interested to hear what Advocate Aslam Essi has to say. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, my take on this is I agree pretty much with what, with what Aisha says, but I, I, I think the following needs to be uh, clear. Number one, you should never have a single mentor throughout your life. You should have multiple mentors. But I, I think that the question is posed is that who should I choose as my initial mentor? And that is an introduction that you will have where you will either learn, well, you will learn in either event, but you will, you will either learn that there are value structures with which you associate with people and you can grow those values or you will find that you will associate with a person premised on that person's um, expertise, as it were, but to find that person as a human being might be bankrupt in other areas in life. So it is important to choose that when you engage with the mentor, that the person is a well-balanced individual that is able to not only contribute to you, but who will allow you to contribute to that person as well. So the co-sharing is crucial in terms of finding a person who is open, transparent, and able to communicate and able to learn. You know, there's a very important saying in life, is that your master 
that's the teacher. In fact, it is, it is from um, uh, a saying that's in, in martial arts related. The teacher will appear when the student is ready. So that is very crucial, is that you also have to continuously develop and use your own thinking process as a, as a measure. So you will develop with various skills. The greatest mentor, I think, is yourself. And it is something that a person will say, but that doesn't define a mentor, because how is it that I can teach myself of things that I do not know myself? What I'm saying is that there is another saying, is that it depends on what is poured into the vessel and the state of the vessel. So if you pour clean water into a dirty vessel, the water will turn dirty. So it is fundamental that you are, as a sponge, able to absorb, but also able to interrogate. So if a mentor is to give you two divergent views on one aspect, you must be able to discern and say, that is the better view. Because you will find people who will contradict themselves and mentors too. So do not accept a mentor as a person who is an ideal candidate or an, a perfect human being. Accept that you will learn certain skills from certain people and you will make sure that you learn what not to learn from a certain person or certain people. And that is crucial because in, in, in your journey of learning and enhancing yourself as a lawyer and as an individual, you have to have both aspects present. What you want to learn, what you can learn and what you are learning and to enhance that and then to find out what you should not be learning or what you should be un learning. That is crucial. So choosing a mentor, it would be a, an initial stage of finding one, but then um, what we term farm yourself out to finding different mentors in different areas of life, different areas of practice, and develop your skills multifacetedly. That's my, my, my botanic. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Advocate Bava. Thank you so much. The highlight there, there for me would be Advocate Bava said that the greatest mentor is yourself, and I couldn't agree more. And he also say, states that um, you need a well-balanced individual who is open and transparent. Furthermore, our Madam CEO highlighted that Sebel itself is designed to mentor or rather give mentorship. And she also states that um, different people are relevant for different needs. With that said, I would like us to just uh, take a quick break. Uh, we were meant to take a break uh, a long time ago, but I see it's already half past 12. Tepang, I, I, I've, I, I've noted you. When we resume, you'll be the first person to, um, to ask your question. So seeing that it's 12.32 right now, we were meant to take a 15 minutes break, but um, let's cut it to rather to just a 10 minutes break. So in fact, eight, let's, can we resume in 1240?
just to give ourselves some time to fill up on our coffees, our teas, you know, yeah. and whatever we need to do. I think it's I, needed. I, I agree. It's a com comfort break. I'll stop the recording and we can resume again at uh, 12.40. Please. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, whoever is not with us now will join us. So I think we may proceed. Tapang, if you are ready, you may ask your question. Tapang? Tapang, back. I see his... Um... He's okay. on mute. He's on mute still, okay. It's not a problem. I think if he's not ready or rather if he's not back, we can move to the next question and then he will answer his question when he comes back okay. for, the, for the interest of time. So I'm not sure if anyone is ready to ask their questions, their question rather. Anybody? Tapang, are you back? Okay, no response still. Okay, I have a question. Okay, thank you, Madam President. I think you can proceed with your question. Okay, thank you. Uh, so the question is, and I, I, I strongly believe that both um, the advocates would be able, would be able to uh, give us a good, a good answer. So the question is, would you say that the challenges that you faced pre-1994 uh, are the same as the challenges that you faced uh, in post-1994. And if that is the case, um, how can we make sure that us as the young minds, the young leaders uh, are placed in a position where we can, uh, you know, overcome these challenges, especially in the legal fraternity? I don't know whether I should. Thank you for your thank you for your question, um, Madam President. Uh, I believe you had captured you. your question relates to the challenges faced pre nineteen ninety four and post nineteen ninety four, and how uh, best can our directors or rather advocates can advise advisors going forward. That is the question, right? Yes. If if you are ready. Um, Advocate Bava or Madam CEO, you can proceed with the answer in answering. Advocate Aslam, you can proceed this time. <laughs> okay, I'll do so. Um, so the questions are, the question is rather, that the challenges that we faced in 1994, are they the same as those that we face post-1994? Is that correct, Prudence? Correct. Well, the challenges that we faced pre-1994 were of a very different uh, nature to what we face now. But as, as uh, human beings, the challenge is always, uh, and I, I just want to take it in this sense, 
from a practical perspective is that pre-1994, and I guess you're using the dividing line because of the constitution, is that correct? And because, yes. So you're using 1994 as, as the, and as the element of the old, what they term the old South Africa and the new South Africa, or the South Africa, I would rather put it as not as the old South Africa and the new South Africa. I was put it as the apartheid era and the post-apartheid era. And uh, in, the, in the apartheid era, our challenges were highlighted towards ensuring that human rights was achieved where there was a very stark um, demonstration of an abuse of human rights through the apartheid government. So you then had a situation where it was in your face as it were, and that, those sort of challenges caused different sort of responses um, to such challenges at that stage. And, and just to demonstrate, uh, you had various aspects such as, um, you know, the Group Areas Act, you had issues such as um, elements within a society which were governed in terms of the law premised on discrimination. So you not only fought it on an individual and collective level in terms of societal challenges, so a challenge between different race groups at that stage. But you faced the challenge from a legal perspective in that what you were doing in trying to exercise your rights as a human being was illegal. So you had to, you were in essence regarded as a criminal if you wanted to exercise your human rights. So you faced it on, on, on an interpersonal, inter-societal level at one, at one end. You faced it on a legislative level on the other hand. And in both, you, you were disadvantaged. But what did it disadvantage? It disadvantaged us as human beings, all. So the oppressor disadvantaged himself or herself Although there was an element of privilege associated with that, they did not allow themselves to grow because legislation did not allow it to grow. And there were people who therefore passed legislation which bankrupted all the individuals. I mean, can you just rethink a, a, a society that was building together as opposed to, being, as opposed to building apart? You know, these, these, for example, these forms that they send to us, um, and you know, you still have to fill in the forms, which says, classify yourself according to white, African, Indian, colored. And I refuse to fill those forms. I always write South African. And where they say other, so I choose other, and I say South African. So sometimes I get the form back from a bank or an insurance company saying, and 
saying, but you know, you, you fall into one of the other categories and we need to make a decision. So now I, what I do is I say, I am South African. I know that you, you need to use, because they give you a bit of space to write. You need to classify this according to it. So if you want to, I'm third generation South African and my ancestry is Indian. So, but the, the important thing is, is, the, is the element of how we face challenges. So I started practicing as an advocate in 19, I became an advocate on the 17th of September, 1991. I um, did my articles since 1989. Okay. Um, and I, I could, I know the difference because I felt it when you, when you walk into court and when you walk into court. But the issue is for us as a challenge is to, is to deepen non-racialism because recently what you're finding is you're finding a lot of tribalism, a lot of ethnic divisions, a lot of race division. And ours as, as legal practitioners is to take the lessons of pre-1994, where we know what oppression means and how it translates into society, and to make sure that that is not repeated. But that, you know, Tata Madiba said something very important. They asked him a question and they said that what we need to do is we need to, as a collective, make sure everybody is equal. And he says, yes. And they were talking from an economic perspective and he says, but we don't want everybody bankrupt. We want everybody to be equal at a higher level. And that is important to improve the capacity, to improve the conditions of everybody across the board. You know, coming to that, um, we also need to make sure that we don't have in terms of our knowing our history, we shouldn't be having ruling parties in government. We should be having serving parties in government. And there's a fundamental difference between a ruling party and a serving party. And this is crucial for us as human beings as we develop, because you feel compromised that a person judged you according to your skin color but you feel equally compromised if that is happening now. And that is an even bigger shame if we allow that to persist. So to me, the two areas were fundamentally different, but the challenges of the past are in themselves rebirthing currently and have been rebirthing because there is also a mindset prevalent which allows that to continue. And we should fight against those kind of strictures which seek to limit our humanity within us, our humanness within us, and to try and pigeonhole us into a category of either color or uh, in terms of wealth. So those are my contributions. I hope that they are useful. Well said, Advocate Baba. Thank you so much. Madam CEO, may you proceed? Um, I'm unable to hear you from my 
I was muted. Okay, thank you. I indicated that this is such a profound question and I thank our reigning president for taking me into this journey of self before apartheid 1994 and uh, the constitutional era. I will share with you that my father is late and he was a member of parliament for the first democratic election, first democratic parliament and he served under Tata Madiba. So what that tells you is I grew up in the home of an activist. I grew up with politics. I grew up with a fight at the table about dignity, equality and freedoms. So this is something that is, is exposed to me on a daily basis and shaped me, shapes my mind. And in addition to that, it is unforgettable that when I was little, I couldn't have been even in high school. I was, I don't even remember the, the age. I think I was 13 or younger. My dad took us to the public pool in Port Elizabeth, warmer, uh, on the Summer Strand beachfront. And he told us, like, get in the pool and swim. And at that time, there's a sign that says, no blacks and dogs allowed. So he knows the sign is there. We know that we can't do it, but he said, swim, get in. So we got in and we swam. And then the security comes to tell us to get out. And then we have to get out because now the cops are coming. Everybody, it's a, it's a big occasion that we are swimming in this public pool. And as I walked out of the gate, my dad handed me in a towel, he handed me his gun, hidden. So I smuggled his towel through the gate past the, the security. Because if he was, we don't know what would have happened if he was caught with the gun. So can you imagine the impression it leaves on a child that I, all this happened because I climbed into a pool. So I think if, if we have to say, are things different? I would say yes, they are different. Because today, I don't know, I'm, I'm just a little bit emotional, but I think they are different because today I have the law on my side and I have the constitution on my side. So I don't need to hide my rights. I don't need to hide that I'm a human being, I'm entitled to dignity, I am equal, I'm, I have the same freedoms, the right to the same freedoms as everyone else. And I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else, but I want equal opportunity. So I'm sharing with you because you are our alumni and there are no uh, masks here. So I think that 
the fact that we have the law on our side is very powerful because if you have the constitution it is so powerful it may be that we fight about the, the details it may be that we fight about the interpretations but at least we have a chance to express our voices matter part of our civil ethos is our voices matter so i would say that the constitution of south africa it may not be what many people wanted to be as yet but fight for your interpretation if you don't fight for your voice to be heard those that have the power and the dominant voice will trump your minority voice and the constitution is really there so that entrenched human rights prevail against that dominant party so your right to dignity it's the founding values of the constitution amongst others is dignity equality and freedoms the rule of law and today the rule of law is constitutional uh, supremacy uh, or the rule of law and constitutional supremacy and the right to vote you so we are grounded our founding values are are truly noble because it is also in line with standing up against sexism standing up against racism so you will note that dignity equality and freedoms of founding values now values are things values are how you see your home it is the it is values for this country now we've taken it further and we have constitutionalized rights so we have taken it a step further i as i stand here i have the right to to dignity it is entrenched in section 10 of the constitution section 9 says i am in i have the right to equality now what our our duty is is to actualize those rights so they have meaning on the ground and they are not simply in a document that that gains dust so us as activists as lawyers we must put meat onto those rights those that skeleton those rights it must we it must impact us in our homes we must feel those rights and until we feel those rights in our homes and in in the streets then the fight to actualize what the constitution truly is is still a fight it, it we have not yet achieved the vision it's still a vision so we know the issues that is happening in society and that is why we are possibly still on this path of law because we are activists we want to change things we don't want to stand and accept and allow our voices to be muted by oppressors the only reason um yes can you the law as a journey 
It is a very, very tough journey. There are easier professions. For me, it is only because there is so much value aligned to my ethos in serving in this fashion that I can continue on this journey. And the answer I would say to your question for me on my personal journey is that before 1994, I did not have the law on my side in a, in a, lit, in a, in a black and white document. Today, I have the black and white document but today, it does not mean that black and white document, we feel it in our homes. So today, the fight is to actualize that rights so that every South African has access and feels dignity, equality, and freedoms. What I've written in Sabo Mbokodo, Collection of Consciousness, is I've taken the purpose of test and I said that those rights must be tested so that we can actualize the respected human. The same way that you have in Delict, the reasonable person test, I have called for a constitutional test that is purposive, that takes us towards the respected human. Because what is the purpose of test worth if it doesn't? allow us to visualize the respected human and tell us that this passes constitutional muster because it satisfies the respected human test. A respected human has dignity, equality, freedoms. They have the rights entrenched. So I have hypothesized this in my collection of consciousness and this I've written for the several alumni because you are very special to me. I have encountered every single one of you. You have entered this fray with me and I've been with you on your journeys. You have been with me on mine as Advocate Aslam Haile says. It's not a one-way mentorship. As much as you gain, I gain. So I think that I am comforted that I have the law on my side. I don't expect the courts and the judges to always agree with me and I don't expect them to do as I wish but I expect them to be impartial I expect them to be objective and I expect them to uphold the sanctity of our constitutional supremacy the rule of law and the values of our nation and the entrenched human rights and I call for the purpose of test to be taken further so that we, we test constitutional text against the respected human as visualized in the constitution. So thank you very much, President, for that question. And thank you for, for being with me um, as I was uh, a little bit emotional. My father is late and, uh, and I thank him for that experience because he taught me to fight. So we didn't accept what is was an inherent dignity to skin color, to race. I was not allowed into a pool because there was a sign that the security was upholding that said blacks and dogs are not allowed. And that was legitimized in an apartheid system. So what I would tell you to caution yourself against, today in practice, people are, are not overt 
the unconscious and conscious bias will be a little bit more hidden or not. But discrimination manifests in many forms. You also will encounter classism. Classism is very rife amongst your, your affluent circles because they discriminate on class, they discriminate on affluence. Not everybody, like not all people of race discriminate on race. You have your exceptions. But as there is good, there are also those that need to still reach that level and are journeying towards good. So people are not always against us. They might be making mistakes, but the law today allows us to say, this is not acceptable in South Africa. This is not aligned with our values. If you continue on this trajectory, there are implications and the courts of law, the police will uphold the consequences of your conduct. So dignity, equality, and freedoms are paramount. In the Koda Collection of Consciousness, I call for Ubuntu be, to be recognized in the Constitution once again. It was in the interim Constitution, and it was removed from the final Constitution. Ubuntu is recognized by our Constitutional Court judgments. I laud our Constitutional Court justices because without them, we would not know that Ubuntu is part of our value system. We are not saying there are no rights for people that have uh, freedoms to contract because we also recognize Zenzele. Zenzele means stand up and do it for yourself. Stand up to do it for everybody collectively. So it, it celebrates freedom. We are not saying we, we are not free. We are very, very free. And we are free as respected humans with kindness. So thank you, President, for the question. And thank you for this opportunity to address you with my thoughts and my feelings. Thank you. Uh Thank you so much, uh, Madam CEO. I, I hope the president is captured. I hope your question was fully answered by both um, Advocate Bava and Advocate Aisha. I, and I'm sorry, I wanted to come in there and to just interrupt you. <laughs> I know Advocate Terry very well. She can, she, she has so much, she has so much to offer us and she can speak the whole day. But for, for the interest of time, um, the answering of the questions are now limited to four minutes each to both Advocate Bava and um, Advocate Aisha, Madam CEO, because we, so far there's only been three questions that have been asked and there's still many people, rather attendees who want to ask their questions. So uh, due, for the interest of time, let's stick to that. And I think Tapang, if you are ready, you may proceed to answer your question. Pardon me, you may proceed to ask your question. Sorry, uh, Madam, Chair, Madam Chair, before the question goes ahead, we, uh, we're supposed to end at quarter past one. It's now seven minutes past one, so we only have eight minutes. Sure, yes, we indeed. Can, we, can, we can extend it, but um, it's up just just as a timekeeping exercise that we do have eight minutes left. Uh, okay, I, I suggest we, we extend it and then we move in that fashion of uh, not more than four minutes of answering the questions. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, let me just start by saying, Council, your sentiments are not misplaced at all. And we share the same sentiments. 
Um, with that said, before the break, you, you answered a question asked by one of the attendees and you stressed at length about um, serving your client. Now, there's a situation where a client had briefed us and what then happened is everything, everything was clearly, the mandate was clearly stated out in the power of attorney. And so we decided that we're going to take the matter on. Well, this isn't legal consulting and not an litigation. We decided that we're going to take the matter on without the client paying us a deposit for the instruction. So what then happened is the mandate was successfully uh, completed and handed. Uh, and the client started going through a divorce and they started briefing us on other matters still without having paid. We then requested the client for a settlement and they then refused. They decided that they're just going to pay a, a deposit and leave it at that. So how do you deal with such a, mat such a matter as a legal practitioner where clients refuse to pay after, after having successfully completed the mandate? How do you deal with a disgruntled client? Do you pursue litigation? Do you talk it out? Do you let it slide? Thank you for that question, Tapang. And I believe the question is how do you deal with a client or rather clients who don't want to pay after successfully um, assisting them in their matters? Um, anyone, I think, I believe, Either Advocate Aisha or Baba can proceed answering. Um, from my perspective, uh, just uh, from your question, the question itself poses the answer to you. And like in a relationship that you have with people, uh, when you enter into a commercial relationship with a person, the parameters must be set out right up front. So that is why you have an aspect like a fee, uh, fee mandate that you ought to be signing with the client. And together with that, you ought to define the parameters that you will do work as you get paid. So it's very similar to this. You go into a store and you buy shoes, okay? And you say to the person, I'm, I'm taking your shoes and I'm going to pay you sometime later. You, you will not be allowed to walk out of that store. And very often people don't realize the intellectual capital that's being used, this intellectual stock that is being used. And because it is not tangible and because it cannot be seen, they, uh, the idea is that we can't pay you for this. So you will find very often that you need to set these parameters right up front. You need to work out what your deposit structures are. You need to know when the amount uh, is going towards zero that it gets stopped up. So it, all of that has to be done on a, on a uh, business and accounting principle for which your client has to be aware of right at the outset. Thank you.
Ms. Mofukin, can I proceed? Yes, may proceed. Pardon me on that. Thank you. My contribution would be the first point of departure, if you fall within the Legal Practice Act, they have de detailed uh, certain requirements. And today, or since the Legal Practice Act has been in force, and I think that was since March 2019, meaning that this provision is applicable, we need to quote. So as you progress, you need to at least given a guideline of the cost. So I'm not sure when your matter materialized, but if that guideline of the costing or the, the quote is, is presented and it's accepted, then that's a binding, it, it's binding on both parties. Um, I think that will facilitate it because then if they're not paying and you continue to do work, um, you should question that strategy. Are you are you then on trust and not on on agreement? Are you are you now? Why are, why are you continuing work if the first agreement hasn't been paid? Um, what I can say is, advocates, um, we are paid through attorneys, so. I generally tell my attorneys take cover. So they, this is the, the, the idea of the costs. If it's private clients, please let them take cover because I don't want to have a fight with my attorney and sue my attorney and have that, those issues. Is the cover there in the trust account? Has it been paid? If it's not there and I continue to do the work, then I must know what terms I do that work on. And then sometimes they are either government institutions or they are accepted institutions if they, if it's if it's uh, a, an institution that I believe will continue to pay, then I know I'm not going to have the fight with my attorney. Remember now, I don't want to have sour relationships with my attorney. But what I can share with you is it's a two-way street. By serving your client, you need to, to also serve yourself. You cannot be exploited. So you need to, to pay your staff. You need to pay for, for whatever disbursements you have. And you have your family to support. You have, some people have, have uh, debts. So consensus. Consensus is, is the freedoms we speak about. So freedoms is that, I mean, you are not, you did not say that I am doing this pro amico, pro bono, pro deo. So you, if you are doing it at a rate, then I will say to you, then manage it. You know that, I've, that you've rendered this particular amount of service for this time frame. Assess if they've accepted the, the estimate or the quote, then proceed, ask for a deposit. Um, most times, I don't know what it is about, about some of human nature everybody promises payment but when it comes time to pay some people are very very tight-fisted and they will not pay so if they don't pay those are not the clients that you actually want you must plan in your mind to let them go because there's no point in building this relationship they are not the kind of they are not serving there's a there's an inherent 
mismatch in the value systems because it is not, it is exploitation to not pay for services. They might create disputes. They might be, and, I, and when I say create disputes, it is created in order to leg legitimize non-payment. Then you're spending all this time to justify it. So I ordinarily have a paper trail of consent all the time. But remember now, you don't go off on your tangent and do work you are not instructed to do. So here, if you extended kindness, kindness is, is, is really reserved, um, or rather not kindness, pro deo, pro bono, understand. Understand where you channel that energy. I channel my energy through Sabo. So Sabo gets, uh, nobody pays me, there's no money here, but when it comes to my professional practice, I have made that choice that it's a paid practice. So maybe if somebody says, okay, this is a particular pro bono matter, they have to ask me specifically. Otherwise, it's a paid practice. But there are other ways of practicing where you can say that I do a lot of pro bono and I do this. It's just that my personality, I, I compartmentalize. So, so I, am, I am a little bit more guarded in practice. So in several, I am less guarded. You, you have, because remember when you go into litigation, you are, you, you know, you're all cognitive. It is thinking that happens, it's strategy, it's different. So I am sharing with you that have a practice plan, know what you are comfortable with, know where you will give leeway, where you will be reasonable, unreasonable, so it also comes to knowing yourself because you may not have a problem having a negotiated settlement. So if you have this dispute on fees, I would probably say to you, when I heard your question, the first thing that came to my mind is you want to know what the issue is. Why is this a problem? And if they don't tell you, and you, so have a conversation, but I'm not shy to sue. So I have issued summons. I have had, um, I, I mean, I, I, it's a bill. It must be paid. So, so the, the, you, why? But there are times that you may not. Um, if it's, if it's a, a, a small claims court matter, and then you might maybe, you know, for experience, instruct someone to go and do the matter in the small claims court. But part of teaching values is to teach people to pay. So I believe strongly in a payment ethos. So, I mean, these are not, we're not friends in when we're doing our, our jobs, or we may be friends, but I am rendering a professional service. So when we render professional services, it must be respected. If the person has a problem with the fee, they must discuss it, they must be respectful. If they're not discussing it and respectful, they're creating issues then we can litigate. But now remember, I am adversarial, I'm counsel, I've got a different personality. An attorney or someone else, you, you, some departments have customer relations, so you want to keep customer relations. So I think you would need to consult, look at the bigger picture. Is this a fight that you want to have for this particular amount or do you let it go and then you don't do work for them until they settle the bill? So the problem that we have with us in practice, especially our start, starting up practitioners that don't have financial kitties, that don't have trust funds, 
is that people don't pay us. We do the work and they don't pay us. Advocate, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to cut you. I'm so sorry. Um, If Tepang still wishes to engage with you, I believe um, we may give him your contact details and the conversation can take place further. I'm so sorry, but the, I'm going okay. to have to. Good, thank you. Thank you, thank, thank you so much. Uh, Tabang, I believe you, you are captured. I believe you've got the answers. Okay, um, let's proceed to the next question. Does anyone else have a question? Okay, Butumela, thank you so much. You may proceed to ask a question. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Madillo. Uh, my question is actually directed to uh, Mr. Bava. It's more of a follow-up on uh, something he said, specifically the filling in of, uh, of, of a form, uh, particularly your, your race or racial classification thereof. Um, now, essentially, my, my question is, um, does the requirement uh, requiring people to uh, fill in their racial classification not violate their right to uh, self-determination in an instance where they don't want to fill uh, that part in? So in a nutshell, uh, are they not being uh, boxed into a forced entanglement with, with race? And I would like to take you back to a uh, specific case you, you, you worked on, um, the Ciodin, uh primary school case. Um, I believe you uh, were representing the amicus curie, uh, curie in, that, in that case particularly. Um, now, of interest in that case is um, something you stated in your heads of argument, uh, particularly, uh, I think it was paragraph 18, where you uh, stated that um, where language is used as a basis to gain some sort of advantage in segregation or the promotion of monolingualism, then uh, this enters into an arena where language itself then becomes a problem in that it fosters a uh, domination and segregation uh, of society. Now, does racial classification in this instance uh, not become a problem? So that, that is my question. Thank you very, uh, thank you very much for that question. Um, it, is, it is a wonderful question. In, yes, in the Seardin primary, uh, the, the judge quoted that portion of my heads of argument where I always, uh, and this is many years ago, I think it's over 15 years ago, um, that the judge quoted this portion relating to how language can you be used as an oppressive tool. But I just want to go back in terms of, of, of the question and to, to look at it. Um, the idea as human beings is that over time, they become power struggles. And I don't want to look at it in a very broad term, but just amongst us as individuals also, it becomes a power struggle. In that power struggle, what, what people use to dominate could be various aspects such as money, such as um, uh, race, such as language, um, um, such as ethnicity, all of those aspects become a dominant feature. And, or rather a feature to gain dominance. But I, I think fundamentally to this is the reason I took 
a stance and I've continuously written this down is because I want us to be seen and I see myself as a human being who has, who goes beyond a classification that somebody else wants to put on me based on either my ancestry or the fact that I have a different skin color or that I uh, speak a different language. And this is crucial. Uh, in, in philosophical terms, uh, it's called the hegemony of thought, the hegemony of ideas. Um, so there was a nice experiment that was done by Tim Medice, and all of you know Tim Medice is a, is a radio talk show host. And uh, I think that demonstrates quite, it quite well. Uh, Tim, at one stage, um, said that, you know, I, I need to look at what is my ancestry? Where do I come from? So there is a DNA test. And in Tim's own DNA test, it came out that he was, uh, I think, something like 15% Scottish, 10% um, whatever, 2% or 5% Indian ancestry, and then, um, as, you know, then black ancestry or African ancestry, rather, we, we look at it uh, in, in the general terms. So as classifications and makeups as human beings, our DNA structure that informs us, all of us that are sitting here, is a mixed DNA. As much as our upbringing in society is within, and let's not, let's not trivialize, our societal contribution is crucial. It takes, I mean, just keep this in mind that we always, it takes a village to bring up a child. And so, you know, this whole argument against nurture versus nature, but fundamentally as human beings, to promote and to understand our values that we can impart and we, um, we give to other people in terms of their dignity as a human being. So even if a person comes to you and he is Afrikaner by classification, you don't judge that person until you know the person. If a person comes to you with whatever ancestry or whatever, my IJs always speak to the individual, understand because that person's thought process and understanding of humanity may be much greater than yours. So that's, that's my bit of, 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 I hope I've answered it. Thank you very much, Advocate. Well, yeah, you've uh, provided uh, much insight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Indeed, it takes a village to bring a child. And I strongly agree with you. We should not judge a person until we fully know them. Does anyone have a question? Yes, please. Thank you so much, Cleopatra. You may proceed to ask, to ask okay, a question. And for, okay, for this one, I would really love to hear a little bit from, from both Advocate Tari and Aslam Bava. It's a little bit of a selfish question, really. <laughs> um, I am a person that is very passionate when it comes to children's rights and the rights of um, women generally, based on the orphanages that I work with and the women's shelters that I'm um, affiliated with, and personal experiences as well. And as an um, aspiring um, advocate for now, <laughs> uh, before I get to the future Chief Justice part, um, I would 
I see myself doing legal work, paid for legal work where I'm paid, but I also see myself doing work where I am more or less advocating for the rights of people that um, can't afford legal fees, generally speaking. So what my question is, based on that, is is there room, or rather, how do you balance, how would you um, advise someone that's going into legal practice in terms of balancing, what, what would be the balancing act? You want to make money, yes, but then you still want to focus on um, work that is obviously not going to pay very well. <laughs> so what would be the, the best way to, to balance this? You know, I don't want to end up feeling with feelings of bitterness and resentfulness 20 years down the line when I'm poor and broke and I've just been, um, I think you get where I'm going with this. <laughs> so if you could do half-half, I would love to hear from both of you, please. I think uh, they may proceed. Yeah. Sorry. If Aisha can continue because I've spoken previously, so just let Aisha speak and then I'll come in I after. absolutely love that uh, alumna Cleopatra is already planning the monetary strategy of a practice. Well done. <laughs> that is fantastic. So I look advocacy. I, I Starting out is really, really tough. So you are leaping into a strategy and in the beginning, it's so hard to get work. So, you know, when I started, uh, my mentor had said to me, just do everything, whatever comes your way, do it because we have no experience. And I then just opened myself up so that I wanted experience, court experience. Later, after you have experience, you, you have a little bit of more uh, value to the market and uh, choice becomes possibly a little bit more possible. Um, as a black and as a woman, unfortunately, we are fighting for briefing patterns to change. We are fighting for access to work, it, it's just such a hard fight. So in the perfect world, if you have the choice on whether you focus on pro bono or women's causes, or causes that are close to your heart, and causes that, and other matters that pay, I would say, remember this. As a human being, we have a finite number of hours. So I, we don't need to, chase a lot of matters and a lot of work. We can only do so much. So I would say, choose for your pro bono or the matters, the ones that speak to your heart. And then this matter will live for an extensive amount of time. And then while that matter is happening, you may have other paying matters and then do those. So, um, I really love and applaud the fact that uh, your strategy, your financial strategy is something you're thinking about at this moment so that it also satisfies human beings. So well done to that. And I don't believe, um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. People have the wrong perception. They think that once we are 
practitioners or lawyers or doctors, we're going to have the money flowing in, maybe more than you had when you started out. But uh, I, I don't think this is a profession that we make a lot of money or I, I relative to corporates, relative to business, relative to entrepreneurs, those are the people hiring us. So the income is always a little bit conservative because we are catering for a higher good. Um, people, don't, people don't understand that because they see the picture, they see the affluence. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it's, that might be focused on, or it's a societal issue that 1% uh, of, of the industries are the ones, the 1% of the affluence is dominated and then it circulates in that particular. The rest of us, we fight, we fight for everything. <laughs> and um, so, so what I did is I, I mean, I have my practice, but you also have a back, a plan B. So, so starting out, you have your active source of income and then you have your passive source of income and your passive source of income eventually must uh, be of such a nature so that one day you need not work and your work is a choice. So I would say that is the aspiration. So right now, um, I'm in a very blessed position. If I want to take the matter, I, I mean, duty calling, if my expertise, um, I was admitted in 2000, so that's 20 years later. I, but I've worked from day one for that. I have worked from, I mean, you, you must study, you must read everything. You must know everything about finance that you can. So plan a passive income and an active income so that your passive income can allow you the choice. So whenever you take a brief, it is, uh, you can, you, you, you know, you're going to court. Now, the difference is when you experience, when you lack experience, you must actually just take everything for experience because you need to, 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 to gain the knowledge in practice on how it's executed. You have the, the book knowledge possibly, and you, everybody's told you, but you need to become advocate Cleopatra that is the best that possibly can be. So from my point of view, in closing, I, I really, I, I applaud that you are planning that far ahead. Well done, because I think your passive income is gonna pay for all of us and we look forward to that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, Cleopatra, your question resonates very well with me. Uh, when I started my practice and I was practicing, I started realizing that um, I was not bringing home the income that was required to sustain myself and I was starting to fall behind. So I took an opportunity of exploring what it was that caused such a, um, an imbalance in terms of my, of my finances, because I was working very hard, but the amount of money that I was bringing home was not sufficient. So when I did this exercise, I found that for approximately at that stage, four to five years of my practice, I had been spending over 60% of my time doing work that was non-paying work. And I started asking myself certain questions as to how much 
of a percentage should I contribute to society and how much should I make it as paying amounts? And it's why I say it resonates with me is because if you end up in a situation uh, where you are doing work that's non-paying as the major part of your practice, you, there is a, an internal resentment that grows up and that, um, you know, I'm doing so much, I'm not getting anything back. How do I balance these aspects? So what I did is I then took and did an analysis and said, how do I cut back? So from 60 to 70% of my practice, I said, okay, I must reduce that to 40% of my practice and 60% must be paying. But when I say 60% must be paying, what do I do and how do I ensure that the 60% is paying? So I entered into a, a system where I asked myself and did an accounting exercise, what does it cost for me and my family to exist and to live well for a month? And broke that down into days and broke that down into hours and broke that down into minutes. To say, how much must I go home with every day? At the end of every day to pay for my chambers practice, to pay for my living expenses. And so after I did that exercise, I worked out how much I had to bill for the day. So I would not leave my practice every day until I billed a certain amount of money. And I would then, I eventually dropped the amount of pro bono work to a level of around between 20 and 30%. And to me, that's a comfortable area because if you can sustain yourself financially uh, and the, the active and the passive does, is crucial, is fundamental. But as, as a day-to-day, -day, if you can sustain yourself and you are able to contribute to society, then you have got the perfect balance because you are not scrounging on one end, trying to say, do I pay for my car? Do I pay for my bond? Uh, do I pay for school fees for my children? Uh, uh, you know, do I compromise in terms of the healthy food that I've got to get for them? Uh, and saying, you know, but I'm doing so much work and I'm doing it for everybody else. You know, charity begins at home. I think that's a very important aspect. So you build your capacity. And just the last point, if a trunk of the tree is not strong, the branches will suffer. So if you are not strong financially to be able to support those, and we know in our societies generally, it's not one home that you sustain, you sustain more than one home. And this is an important thing because you're not going to just be sustaining your nuclear family. It's your uncle who falls into trouble, your, your parents, your grandparents, uh, your cousins. So those kind of things is you must be, and, and I, I know there's an expectation because you are now a legal practitioner that you ought to be rich. You ought to be driving a particular type of car. And if you can't give to that person and assist that person, you, you, you draw a wedge in a family relationship as well. So take all of that into account and work out a system where you can sustain yourself, pay yourself, in other words, to do the pro bono. If I can give you that advice. Thank you so much for those questions. They were indeed very lovely. 
pardon me, for those answers um, and that question in particular, Cleopatra, um, I highlight that uh, Advocate Tairi says that there's a misconception that lawyers have money. And secondly, she says that we must always have plan B. But importantly, Advocate Baba highlights that an analysis is necessary to inquire on that percentage of doing non-paying work. So thank you very much. I see Sbusa Matlangu has a question again. Uh, so I believe you asked a question. Um, can I give a chance to people who have not asked questions? So can I please uh, respond to uh, Mr. Godoni? Mr. Godoni, you, you may proceed to ask the question. Um, thank you, Madidlo. Um, my first question is regarding law firms as a business. Um, are they allowed to trade as public companies um, to the extent of listing their securities to to public markets like um, like the JSE? Thank you. Uh, from my from my understanding, uh, you they cannot. Uh, they precluded in terms of the societal rules and now the Legal Practice Act, in terms of which they are accountable to the, uh, in this ca case, the, the Legal Practice Commissioner or Council, uh, in terms of accountability. So they, it's, it's a dual element. Practices are structured in different forms. They are practices that are structured as corporate entities, that practices that are structured as partnerships. There are practices that are structured as uh, just as, um, as individual or sole practitioners. And all of these uh, draw different sort of responsibilities in terms of the legal requirements, uh, in terms of accounting, in terms of um, how they, uh, they deal with tax issues. And obviously they try and structure themselves to the most tax efficient manners, but they cannot, to my mind, go and list themselves as a publicly listed company and have multiple shareholders. So just let's look at the, the wisdom perhaps behind that. If I open a firm today and I go and list it on, on the JSE as a public entity and somebody who uh, who's got enough money comes and buys the majority of shares in my firm and then tells me to do what that person or that entity wants me to do. It won't work. So generally my understanding, and I haven't seen that you do have publicly listed uh, law firms, at least in South Africa. Can I contribute? And um, so there are three points. Attorney firms, I have seen firms globally that are listed, not South Africa. So globally, you would have certain firms on their exchanges, so they are listed. Second point is that the Legal Practice Act is transformative in nature also in terms of the way the practice is structured. So currently there is about another, we probably pass a close, uh, there's a two year leeway from, from a certain date 
for submissions on recommend, recommendations for institutional changes. So it is not seen that the way we are as it is, is closed. So the, there is a conversation happening in that space. I'm not sure whether the conversation will take us towards listing in South Africa. And then the third point, just to highlight, um, it is very uh, pertinent that you asked about attorney firms because it highlights the fact that currently advocates are always in sole practitioners. Uh, we, we advocate Aslam uh, and I, we can't partner, we, I can't, as an advocate, that is all that's legitimately accepted at the moment. So we are always sole traders. Um, and in our current partnership structures where there is a company, the, the company is, is not a public company. It is such that the directors have still personal liability. The last I checked, which was over a decade ago, I think it was a Section 21 uh, company, and that they, there was personal liability for the directors. So normally, public companies, as we, as we understand it, there's no personal uh, liability, but you have your fiduciary duties, etc. So thank you so much for those questions. Thank you for the answers. Um, I hope you are, you are well answered, Mr. Godoni. Yes. Thank you. Um, is there any other question? Okay, I think uh, Mr. Mahlangu, you may proceed to ask your question, seeing that currently there's no question. Um, thank you, Ms. Um, Mufukeng. All right. Um, my second question um, is about special, uh, specialization. Uh, okay, this is the question, but I'm going to give it some context. Uh, my question is, when do you specialize and, and, and how do you take the decision to specialize? So just to give it some context, I'll say this. Uh, when, when, a, when an aspirant legal practitioner wants to enter the, the legal fraternity, it'll be either you'll do his articles of clerkship, or what is called now the um, practical vocational training, or he'll do um, pupillage towards becoming an advocate. And usually when you go into a firm, they'll tell you, it's not really your decision, but they'll tell you you belong to the personal injury department or you, you belong to the commercial department or you might go to the convincing department. And if you, you, you're doing pupillage, you most likely do um, the work that you're I'm not sure what it's called um, with advocacy, but your, your principal, the person whom you, you are receiving training from. So how, 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 do you, how do you decide actually, and when is the right time to decide that I want to specialize in this particular field? Um, although you, give it, you, you offer a position maybe in the personal injury department, when is it the right time to say, okay, yes, I'm satisfied 
I'll stick to this one because of course your mind is always thinking, am I not missing out on commercial? Am I not missing out on conveyancing? Am I not missing out on mediation or, or general litigation for that matter? Thank you. Uh, I don't know who's going first. <laughs> Anyone, you may proceed, Advocate Baba. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. The area of specialization um, is dependent on the individual involved. So if the individual has been specializing prior to going into practice, so not everybody goes directly into, into practice, there may have been, um, for example, some people might have been involved at the competition commission, or you may have been involved in corporate structures, or you may be involved in administrative law um, with certain municipalities. Uh, you know, you may have been a prosecutor prior to that. Um, if you uh, have those sort of skills when you come in, you will know your area of specialization and you then can enter within an area of specialization. By far, the most general proposition is everybody comes in as a general practitioner. And it is within that area of general practice that you start finding your feet, as it were, in terms of where you want to specialize. And while you go into those areas, you start finding that you have an aptitude and a liking for a particular area of law. Like there are people who would come in and would find that they like family law or there are people who come in and they like uh, delictual claims, and there are people who come in and find administrative law, or constitutional law. So if you have been clerking at the constitutional court, you might want to come in and say, I want to do constitutional law because I have been a clerk at the constitutional uh, court and that's the area I want to go in. There are also lecturers who come in with a pre, uh, you know, going in and saying they want to specialize in a particular area. But generally, you will go in and you will start finding the areas that you want to, uh, you want to practice that you actually feel drawn towards. Um, they, even, um, well, even if you look at some people who come into the practice, they find that they are not ready to go into court to do conflictual cases. So they may want to start concentrating and saying, I want to now, in terms of Rule 41A, become a mediator as opposed to uh, somebody who's fighting a fight. So these areas of specialization develop as you develop. But you may come in and say, look, I want to go into this area. And you may study excessively in that area um, and, and come in with that sort of uh, understanding that you want to practice because you've made up your mind that you want to enter practice for a, spe a specific area. Then it's just a matter of building. But if you haven't, then you will do a general practice. You will start finding the areas that you want to. You will start finding, and what is important, start finding firms that do particular type of work to try and attract work from that, from those firms as well, which is quite difficult as well. Uh, and so uh, I think that is a development. But as you're doing that, if you haven't studied before, but say you, you like a, a corporate law, then you need to start doing causes in that to, to, to build yourself and build your capacity as far as that is concerned. So it will only come through either that you are predisposed towards a particular field 
or uh, and you have acted and, and practiced within the field, or you start developing a liking for a particular area and you start building your area of speciality by writing articles, by engaging with, with people who do particular type of work because you find a liking towards that area. Thank you. Is there time, Ms. Moff, okay? I can quickly just touch base. I've, re I've just uh, received a text from Advocate Baba. He has another meeting or rather an engagement at two o'clock. So unfortunately he has to leave us. And I see also there is another question from Tanifama Suku. Uh, okay, I'll just say it in, in one sentence. Yes, Follow thank you. Follow your mind. Follow that passion that excites your mind. You are excited and it speaks to you and it moves you. That's where you need to head to. <laughs> My shortest thank answer. Yes, thank you so much. And just to quickly answer the last question of the day, because we are way, way out of time. Mkanta is asking, and in her question, she's saying, um, sorry. She's asking, what are the ramifications of using social media as a lawyer? She says that uh, this question derives from the outburst people had with regards to the Chief Justice statement, Israel. So I believe a minute for each <laughs> should, be, should suffice so that we can close. Um, I, I think social media is, is, is certainly a very strong element of uh, expressing views. Um, as, as it has got a, a huge platform. And I think people need to be uh, acutely aware of how they engage on social media, because not only does it have an immediate uh, ramification, but it has uh, a recorded ramification for later years. So when you, when you pen something on social media, uh, make sure that you do so responsibly, as all I can say. I have one statement, if, you, if I may. Yes, please. So ultimately, whatever you say on social media, please be satisfied that the, a court in the highest land will look at it. And if you're satisfied that this, all these just, justices, 11 of them in the Constitutional Court, all the justices in the Supreme Court of Appeal, all the justices in South Africa will look at what you've put into social media, and you're then ready to press enter or submit, that's okay. So assess it from a judicial perspective. And if you're not happy for a judge to read what you've said in social media, I would rather think about it a little bit more. <laughs> Nothing more, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Lanta, um, I hope your question is answered. And without wasting any further time, um, SG, can you kindly just introduce the president and then she can also do her, her closing. <clears throat> no, thank you so much. Um, uh, president. Um, and thank you to Advocate Baba and Advocate for such an engagement. Um, but because of the we need to, 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 
to stop somewhere. So I'd just like to quickly welcome uh, our current president, uh, the, our boss, we call her our boss. So our current boss to come in uh, just um, address us before we, we close the session. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sibustiso. Thank you. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of our very first uh, virtual subwoofing think tank. Uh, I have been tasked to provide closing remarks. This is a bittersweet moment as we have to conclude an informative and innovative session. I also cannot deny the fact that I feel privileged and honored to be entrusted with such a great task. As with all uh, sub-real events, today's think tank has been a, a great success. It's a success in the sense that the task that was at hand has been carried out in a remarkable manner. Today marks the day where we, as a SAPL alumni got to meet and know the SAPL NPC board members properly and engage with them. This is quite a novel initiative as the alumni do not get to engage with them more often. Normally we find that such a privilege is reserved for the SAPL alumni executive committee. We find ourselves uh, having to learn new ways of living due to the pandemic that has taken over the world. The fourth industrial revolution is indeed here to stay. And we are left with no other choice but to adjust, learn and unlearn. It can be quite daunting and frustrating at times as the virtual world is uncertain. I am however fulfilled by the fact that people wake up every day with intentions, intentions to make a difference and change their own lives amid the, the pandemic. Uh, I was watching a video recently by a young South African black motivational speaker who goes by the name of Vusi Tembekwayo. And I was left inspired. He mentioned that for us to succeed, we need not fight amongst ourselves, but fight against the systems. The systems that were put in place in order for us to find it difficult to break through to the other side. The systems that have been placed, uh, that have placed us in positions where we are unable to leave behind legacies for the future leaders. The systems that have been oppressive, crippling, and ridiculously inhumane. I am however pleased by the fact that amongst us, we have leaders leaders who have taken, up, taken it upon themselves to ensure that we are well equipped and we are well equipped to lead the world. What a privilege, what a privilege. As most of us have seen yesterday, uh, the Legal Practice Council is planning to amend the legal practice rules uh, to prohibit law firm, firms from expecting or requiring that candidate attorneys be in a position of driver's licenses and to own their own, to have their own vehicles. As much as we are uncertain about how this will be implemented or carried out, 
we can confidently say that we are moving in the right direction. Uh, there is hope after all. There is hope for that aspiring legal practitioner who comes from a disadvantaged background. What a time it is to be alive. Uh, I'd like to leave you with uh, a quote. This quote um, comes from an American cultural anthropologist who goes by the name of Margaret Mead. And it reads as follows. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, is the only thing that ever has. Lastly, on behalf of all, uh, I would like to thank the founder and CEO of Sebel NPC, Advocate Tyree, who is the mastermind behind this think tank. We thank you for your excellent service, your selflessness, and your unconditional love. To advocate Bava Senior Council, we are grateful for we are grateful for you. We thank you for ensuring that the technicalities of this session were well taken care of. To the support board members and luminaries, we are grateful that you made time out of your busy schedules to ensure that this think tank is a great success. Your efforts are not in vain. To the SAPRIL alumni, I'm delighted to see that you are forever seeking knowledge and growth. The road ahead is still long. We should, however, not tire for victory is certain. I would like to express my gratitude to the, the non-alumni who seem intrigued by our movement. I'm grateful that you have joined us today on Facebook and we look forward to interacting with you more. I am also thankful to the SAPRIL Alumni Executive Committee. You have been a great team and your work goes unmatched. Last but not least, to the inaugural president director, Madila Mufugeni, it is a great pleasure to work closely with you. You have been selfless and we as the alumni and the execo are grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, President. That was indeed touching and moving. <laughs> um, without wasting any further time, Igamalama Kosikazi, Malibongwe, thank you so much. This was inspiring, this was moving. Hope to see you next time. Here's to more webinars. COVID-19 is here, is, is here to stay with us. Thank you. Goodbye. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank Bye. you. Bye. 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 Ciao. Bye.